Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Welcome back. Over the years, coffee has been associated with everything from liver and kidney cancer to, of course, discolored teeth. So what's the real deal? Well, let's take a minute and cruise through some of the latest research on just what coffee does in our bodies. According to some studies, coffee may help protect against Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. It contains antioxidants that researchers think may protect brain cells from damage. Coffee drinkers tend to be at a lower risk of both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Coffee may also help prevent type 2 diabetes. The antioxidants, again, may be at work helping improve insulin sensitivity and fight just general inflammation in your body. There's evidence coffee can help protect against liver disease. Yes, liver disease. And again, those antioxidants seem to have something to do with it. Coffee may also help prevent some types of cancer. In fact, coffee drinkers are at lower risk of developing colon cancer, liver cancer, and endometrial cancer. There's also signs that it helps improve cognitive function and may even boost your mood. Well, that's interesting, but get this. Researchers used AI to peel back a pair of really big studies. They involved more than 21,000 people. They programmed the computers to slice and dice those previous studies and look at whether drinking coffee every day is good or bad for your heart. I talked with David Cow, Assistant Professor of Cardiology and Medical Director at the Colorado Center for Personalized Medicine at the University of Colorado. Also with Laura Stevens, she's a computer scientist who programmed the machine learning to dig into all the data. And if you like coffee, you're going to like what they found. Uh, I think the big finding here was that we found that increasing coffee consumption in a wide spectrum of people was associated with a decreased risk over the long haul, over you know, years and decades of developing heart failure. Um, and we observed this in uh, a wide range of people across a long, long period of time. Uh, so we found this pretty convincing that um, more coffee consumption seemed to associate with less heart failure. So how much coffee do I need to be drinking to see the positive effect? Uh, we found the effect with as little, I think, as one cup per day, um, with the best effect ranging between two and three. And we also, it did not, we did not find like it bound in the effect. So the more coffee you drink, the effect continued. And we tested that up to about five to six cups per day. Yeah, that's about, I think that's going to guess, I'm going to guess that's about where I am actually is. <laughs> so I'm glad you answered that. Um, so I'm fascinated by all of this. Do we know what the mechanism of action is here? What's going on? Why does this work? Um, at least part of the effect seems to be associated with the caffeine itself but we couldn't really pin it down further than that or tell exactly why that was. So uh, does it matter whether I'm drinking just good old black coffee or my caramel mocha macchiato, you know, foo-foo drink is, does that really matter? I think uh, we can't answer that for all different types of uh, coffee. The, um, if you 
consider most of the data was collected before the high sugar uh, coffee drinks that we have now. Um, Framingham in the 60s and 70s, Eric probably in the 80s and 90s. Um, uh, it's like it's unlikely those were present. Um, but as far as percolated versus filter versus espresso versus Americano versus drip, um, it, that just wasn't uh, something that was reported in the data that we had. I think uh, the question of cream is a, is a good one. Um, I, we they didn't define that very well either, so I don't think we can make a firm statement one way or the other from our results. Uh, in general, high fat um, uh, foods at high uh, intake. So say you were drinking six cups of coffee a day with that was half cream, um, then that probably is going to affect your cholesterol. But well, we couldn't say that. Um, precisely from what we did. How much of an impact are we talking about here? Is it is it just a small, minuscule impact? Is it a significant determinant in my likelihood to have heart failure? Uh, so the risk that we had was about 5% reduced risk per cup. Per cup. So if I'm having six cups a day, I'm at 30% reduced risk? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not too far off, actually. When, um, when we would split it up, say, between uh, above or below two or above or below three, the, yeah, the numbers actually ended up kind of around 20, even as close to 30% as you, as you went higher. Um, but the, the fundamental line that was kind of across all the studies was about 5% per cup per day. And is that uh, across all types of heart failure? Heart failure comes in many different flavors, so to speak. Is, is it just across the board? It's a total reduction? Yeah, we defined um, heart failure to include all different types of heart failure in the um, study that we did. And um, we also looked at uh, stroke and cardiovascular disease as a whole. So doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I were to introduce a new medication that could bring about a five to 20% reduction in, in heart failure risk, that would be huge, would it not? Yeah, uh, that would that would be really important. I mean, I think, um, we really don't have medications that we know prevent heart failure specifically in the long term. Um, we can prevent heart attacks and stroke and that kind of thing, but not heart failure on its own. Um, in addition, the medications that we do use in heart failure uh, that are guideline therapy, um, their magnitude of benefit is around a 20% reduction in risk of, say, hospitalization or death um, as well. So a 20% effect is, is actually quite meaningful um, with respect to uh, heart failure treatment. Again, that is Dr. David Cow, the Assistant Professor of Cardiology at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Also data scientist, Laura Stevens. They partnered on reanalyzing data from two large studies into factors associated with heart failure. And I want to be clear, they're not suggesting a true cause and effect. They're not saying it's time to prescribe coffee to prevent heart disease, but clearly the data shows an association. The American Heart Association recommends no more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day for adults. That's about four eight ounce cups of coffee. And of course, it's best to stick to black coffee to kick out the cream and the sugar and all those calories. So whether it's the caffeine alone or the rich blend of antioxidants that coffee contains, let's just say thanks to good old Juan Valdez and feel good about enjoying a cup of coffee knowing it may be helping you prevent heart failure. 
All right, enough about coffee. Let's focus on what the study says. It prevents heart disease and heart failure. When we come back, we'll check in with cardiologist Dr. James O'Keefe to learn how there's much more than diet and exercise that goes into a heart-healthy lifestyle. So hang in there with us for more of the Health Call Radio Hour. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Okay, welcome back. If you are just joining us, we heard from researchers a moment ago who crunched the data and concluded that coffee is indeed good for your heart. Well, now we turn to a cardiologist and author who says decades of treating people with heart disease has taught him your genetics are important, yes, but what really matters for heart health isn't simple as exercise or diet alone. It's not just one thing. Dr. James O'Keefe says our hearts are influenced by a broad range of everyday decisions and lifestyle choices. Exactly right. I mean, our, our GI tracts, our cardiovascular system, um, our tastes, our hormones. This is super importantly, our hormones change drastically depending on how, how you eat and how you sleep and, and, <clears throat> and how you exercise and how you connect with others and, you know, whether you have, you know, these relationships like with, you know, with your, with the people around you, with dogs, with plants, you know, that's why I'm a big fan of gardening and dogs and cats and, and, you know, and prioritizing your relationships. But, but yeah, the, the practical stuff like, like, like moving, especially outdoor exercise, especially um, mixing up with some strength training and stretching and, and eating food that like, comes from from nature and preferably the wilder the better because when you eat that way it changes your tastes because these hormones change and you'll stop craving junk food and you know things with added sugar and all those high calories you don't need to think about counting calories or how much to eat or when to stop eating or when to eat i mean you just you, it would become become natural because that's what we're genetically programmed to to do you're out with a new paper very soon uh, kind of blowing a hole in the vegan myth. I got to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something and uh, something that that I, you know, I have a lot of uh, friends and colleagues um, in the cardiology world who are vegans or who have been vegans have been espousing a vegan diet uh, for a long time. But, but to me, it's just, and I don't want to be confrontational, but it's just like trying to get, you know, um, uh, keep a horse healthy feeding him meat. It's just not what we're designed for. And not, not that we're designed to be carnivores, but we're not designed to be herbivores either, just eating plants. We are omnivores. We are opportunistic omnivores, which means we eat things, you know, our ancient ancestors ate things like bugs and, you know, and, and whatever else they could. But but increasingly, you know, we, um, the, the you know, to start with the, the modern American diet probably ha clearly has too much junky meat in it, like sausage and bacon and processed meats and, and, and like, like burned meats are really bad for you. That's, that's where you get the carcinogens uh, from meat. But, but wholesome, healthy uh, meat is super rich in nutrients like wild-caught fish or shellfish or pasture-raised poultry like chicken and, and, and turkey. Uh, and pasture-raised eggs, even though they're high in cholesterol, are very good for you in moderation. Um, the most important thing in the diet, and I always, uh, in my arguments uh, with vegans, either, you know, writing or online or, or in, um, you know, in, uh, in conferences, uh, I always uh, 
point out that like I bet you anything I eat more vegetables than you do as a vegan because like vegans eat a lot of plant food but you know uh, coke and and cheetos are are plant food you know the, but the, they're not healthy plant foods the key is you want wholesome healthy sort of like like di uh, foods that you know like like vegetables and fruits and and vegetables are even more important than fruits because they're so low in calories and and high in antioxidants but the other thing about this diet is so uh, most of the calories in that diet should come from uh, from healthy fats, you know, like like nuts and seeds and extra virgin olive oil and avocados and and oily naturally oily fish like like salmon and sardines and and trout, sea bass. Um, but most of the weight of the diet, like if you're weighing the food you're eating, should should be like eighty percent of it. 57% as fat calories, those healthy unsaturated fats, but most of the weight in the, in the, should come from vegetables and fruits. You know, there's not many calories. You can eat a ton of broccoli and, and Brussels sprouts and, and leafy greens and, uh, and um, carrots. Um, you know, everything every, basically says everything except potatoes. I mean, corn is a little starchy, but a little bit of corn is so, is so high in fiber that it's still good for you. But the point is most of your plate should be colors as my wife says each each meal should be two colors and a protein and the protein should be lean and fresh and you know the the preferably um not burned so so it's pretty simple you know mm. but if if you follow a strict vegan diet there'll be there'll be predictable problems where you're not getting enough protein iron zinc um taurine um and uh and iodine um and so you th have things like hair loss and, and muscle loss and osteoporosis, which is weak bones, and depression and anxiety actually uh, are important um, problems with, with a strict vegan diet. So uh, plus, if, if you've ever tried, Lee, have you ever tried to follow a vegan diet? No, no, I haven't. I, you know, I eat pretty healthfully and have for many years, and I've kind of always assumed that as you just said, you know, animals are here. We've grown up eating them, and it seems like that's an important part of our diet. So I've not stepped across into that vegan field at all. Good. Well, I would encourage you not to. And, you know, it's okay to have a vegan meal from time to time because, you know, it's good to have variety in your diet. And, and things like, like legumes, you know, like, like lentils and beans and peas are, are good, healthy, you know, protein sources. Uh, vegetable protein, nuts. I'm a huge fan of nuts. There's a, there's a lot of great data showing that nuts are among the healthiest things you can eat. Um, but, but the point is, if you try to follow a strict vegan diet, you'll start having cravings. I mean, you'll like, like you'll need, you'll feel like I need some real protein. And plant protein is great, but animal protein is higher in in, in sort of biologic quality, so it's easier to make bone and muscle and you know, and things like omega three. Uh, are, are very important for your brain health, super important brain and heart health. And if you're not getting enough uh, uh, fish in your diet and seafood, you're, you'll be deficient in omega-3. In fact, I think it's one supplement that most all of your listeners should be taking is an omega-3 supplement. It's just such a fundamental thing. And about 85 or 90% of Americans don't have uh, uh, adequate amounts of omega-3 in their diet or in their system when we measure it. Yeah, I'm, I do that with chia seed and flax seed, milled flax seed. I hope that gets it done in some fish occasionally. So uh, I haven't checked, but I hope my omega so levels are good. Chia seed and flax seed are high in omega-3, but it's an omega-3 called alpha-linolenic acid. It's a plant-based omega-3 that's converted to the really important DHA and EPA 
omega-3s that, that are so important for the brain and the heart, only on the order of one to 5%. So uh, those are good healthy foods to add, but it does not, uh, it does not excuse you from the need to like be eating fish two or three times a week and taking an omega-3 supplement. I mean, I really think this is so important. The data are, are stronger all the time. If you put all the randomized controlled data together, there's no question that omega-3 and, and, you know, most of the really well-informed diet experts that you talk about um, th will will agree with that statement. Now, there, there's a lot of doctors, you know, who, I mean, doctors get virtually no training in nutrition. So doctors aren't necessarily the last word when it comes to nutrition uh, for, for a lot of these issues. Well, let's walk down that path just a little bit further. So, um, I, you know, there are ads all over the place for omega-3 products. There's krill oil and supermarket fish oil. What do I need to look for in picking the right quality and the right product of omega-3? Well, in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm the chief medical officer and founder of a company called CardioTabs that is supplements that are, you know, designed for heart health, but, and, and we, you know, spend a lot of time and energy, you know, sourcing the, the, the best and purest omega-3 we can find. It's over the counter, but there's a lot of good uh, omega-3 brands out there. Um, but, but the, the most important thing, Lee, is that the amount of DHA and EPA in the product, these are these two things. And so krill oil is, is very low in EPA and DHA. It has something called phospholipid, so it's a little easier to digest. But the key is omega-3, you should be getting at least 1,000 milligrams of EPA plus DHA per day, one gram, 1,000 milligrams. Um, I mean, I think two grams is actually a better uh, thing to shoot for. That's about what I shoot for. And just read the label on the back of the omega-3 uh, product and, you know, make sure it's from a reputable brand because there can be impurities in, in fish oil, but, but a high-quality product will have no mercury, uh, very low uh, oxidative uh, products in it. So, uh, so that's the thing, one to two grams of EPA plus DHA. Oh, and the other important thing is take it with a meal. You could take it all at once, uh, once a day, but you need to take it with a meal that has some fat in it because then it will be um, better absorbed. Cardiologist James O'Keefe blasted through a lot of data there, so here's a quick recap. We all need more omega-3, and if you don't eat fish several times a week, he recommends a fish oil supplement. I appreciated him reminding me that plant-based omega-3 alone is not good enough. So yes, I'll keep adding chia and flaxseed when I'm cooking, but I've started adding one gram of fish oil supplement to my diet because it's something your heart and your brain really want. Now, Dr. O'Keefe is medical advisor for a brand called CardioTab, and I'll have a link for you in the show notes. But also know that a recent review by the independent analysis specialists at Consumer Lab listed the Kirkland Signature 1000 milligram fish oil capsules at Costco a best buy because they're effective and affordable. Coffee and fish oil, two things you'd probably never pair up for heart health, but that's what the data shows, and that's what matters here on the Health Call Radio Hour. I hope you heard something today you'll tell a friend about and that you'll be listening to this great radio station again next week, and I'll see you then. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts, or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. 
While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour. Podcasts by Federated Media.